This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril with Insider Brooks here, as always. With And I really got to stop saying that. It's like a catchphrase I get into, and Kara's not here, so I can't say that. Maybe I can say here, as always, with our guests of the first week open discussion show, or whatever we're calling it, Mark Hep, Ivar, and Randy. We're also missing Scott Fu, who is busy running all kinds of amazing parks, and Mr. Casey Cochran, who is not joining us today. And I think Sandy is traveling too. So apparently, like, everybody's on summer vacation, Randy, and we missed the memo. Like, Sorry. Ivar, where are you, Ivar? Never gotten that memo. Holland, did you say, Ivar? I'm in Holland at the moment, yeah. Okay, so Ivar's in Holland. Monique is joining us. She's, we got a new face here. Monique, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us where you're Yes, I, I am Dutch. And I worked a lot in contracting for Thomas Cook in the past, contracting campsites in France. And in fact, I now do online marketing for French campsites that want to get direct clients from Holland. So I help them instead of working through tour operators and stuff to get the clients directly. So I do their Google AdWords, I do their SEO, I do a lot of things to help them get direct clients. And for my Facebook campaigns, I work with Ivar, because <laughs> he is the specialist. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, let's, we'll dive into some of that. I'm curious to see if some of the trends you're seeing in, in France and how they correlate with what Ivar's seeing and what I'm seeing over here in North America and Randy's seeing all over the place and stuff like that. Mark just private messages said he had to jump off for a second, so hopefully he'll return and we won't just be stuck with me rambling on too much during this show. Before we get too far into it, we do have to know that today's episode is sponsored by Fireside Accounting got a super fancy new graphic in the bottom left-hand corner. Lindsay Fruz runs this amazing accounting firm. They only work currently in the United States. Hopefully we'll convince them to maybe expand a little bit in the future. But for now, I know they're super busy. They provide some amazing accounting services. And if you're like us and you're dealing with this upcoming recession and we've had clients calling us and saying, we need to cut expenses, where do we cut? Maybe Lindsay can save you some money in your taxes and you don't have to cut things. So get a hold of her if you're interested. Fireside Accounting, firesideaccounting.com. Really appreciate their support of our show. Guys, before we dump into some of these different topics that maybe are in my head, is there anything new that's come across your desk in the last month or so that you feel is important that we must discuss? Chronologically, numerically, or by magna order of magnitude? It seems like every week there's just more and more stuff coming across the desk. These are, we were talking a little bit before the show here that I just don't remember a time in this industry that's been so subject to pivots and rebranding and change and just every single day it's something different and i literally can't even be surprised anymore when something hits my inbox and i say boy i didn't see that coming i'm getting used to saying that a lot boy i didn't see that coming but that's what makes it so interesting it's such a dynamic and interesting industry with so many different facets to it that's why we're in the ride that's why we're here for it it's if it stayed the same it'd be terribly boring that's very true i guess let's start i don't want to spend again a whole episode on this because we talk about it and we touch on it a little bit every week, but I feel like it's increasingly necessary for us to talk about different facets of 
this supposed, maybe perhaps upcoming recession, whatever we're going through, downturn in, in the economy may or may not impact camping. Obviously, it's tremendously impacting, from what I've read at least, the European, maybe not camping market so much, a little bit, but obviously your LNG, propane prices, fuel prices, all the kinds of things that are going on. So Ivar, Monique, do you guys want to just take that for a second and touch on how it's impacting Europe? And then Randy and I can jump in with the States maybe. Yeah, it's a little bit the same here as it is in Canada and America, the fuel prices, the gas prices, but also the prices in the supermarket, for example, I read an article yesterday that it's 30% more expensive to do groceries uh, nowadays, and it will infect the way people travel because there is a big target group that maybe cannot afford an expensive holiday anymore. There is also one other thing what's infecting uh, us at the moment for us positive at the airports in Europe. Uh, they have lack of integrity doing the suitcases. Toronto, it's happened too. We saw a video ye yesterday from a line in Cologne for checking, and that line was 600 meters long. 600 meters, it went for, for our American friends. That's close to 2,000 feet, just for our American friends. I want to clarify. <laughs> and that is incredible because we, we do get calls from people that booked a campsite in the southern part of Italy and want to rebook more in the north of Italy. That would be about maybe seven, 800 kilometers less driving. But we also get people calling us who booked a, a flight to Greece or to Spain and want to travel by car now because they are afraid they won't even get on a plane. It's crazy times, like Randy said, stuff is happening that we never thought of before. And we have to react on it every day. But I think what's important from my perspective, at least as, as I see it, is this is a, it's not a concern for the camping industry yet, other than in so much as it's a rebalancing. Would you agree with that, Randy? Yeah, well, in any cycle, there's going to be adjustments. In 2008, for, the, for those of us who were around then, there was a very, <clears throat> excuse me, very different set of circumstances. But people are going to do what they're going to do. They're just going to adjust and pivot. So <clears throat> I'm so sorry. It doesn't mean the outdoor hospitality industry is in a bad state of affairs. It's not. It's returning to some more normalized occupancy numbers for a lot of parks. That means that there's a dip versus last year, which is an, which was a statistical anomaly. 2021, everybody came out of hiding and went back outside. And so you had these, it's a statistical outlier, basically. So in 22, you've got some normalization of a lot of those things, but when you've got Fuel prices and inflation, it's going to affect travel habits. There's no way it doesn't. So to what degree does it affect it? Every park and every market is different. How far you are away from a major metro is different. How remote you are, what type of campground you are. One interesting bit of data was talking with somebody earlier today, and their <clears throat> tenting reservations went from a few hundred to well over a thousand year over year, month to month. And so if there's anything that says that's a trend for that park, that's pretty tough to run away from. So people are obviously driving and camping versus taking their RV or something like that. And I think, again, as we've all talked about before, it doesn't mean the industry's in bad shape. It just means that we have to, as operators, pay more attention to the subtle changes in travel habits and be very mindful of those and tailor our offerings towards that. And that's part of the great thing about this industry is the ability to adjust and pivot monitor and react and not just say the occupancy is down. It's just a bad year. No, what that means is you have to rethink and re-innovate and then think of new ways to find new things for your guests to do when they come there, or find other ancillary revenue sources outside of just camping revenue. That when you view our industry as something organic and dynamic and moving and changing and pivoting and not static, 
it's hard for me personally to say we're in a period of bad times right now. I just don't believe that. What it means is if we're in tune to what behaviors are from the consumers and can adapt and pivot, you can be every bit as prosperous as you were before. And there's going to, guess what? There's going to be another new normal in another few months because today's new normal is going to change again in six months. And that's all part of the data analysis, collecting, analyzing analytics. And these are things that I think, I feel like a lot of park owners aren't really aware of that they have at their fingertips to use. And so that's where like Mark helps a lot of those people do that. Obviously Ivar and Monique they are the same. And I guess everybody here is marketing except Randy, but just diving into those deep detailed analysis, I agree with you, Randy. Like I don't, I'm not concerned about the camping industry at all, the outdoor hospitality industry at all right now. I think there is some point we're not anywhere close to it, but I think there's is some point where if tomato prices and electricity prices and LNG price and all of it keeps going up, I think at some point they're going to stop camping local even, or at least moderate that a little bit, but I don't think we're anywhere close to that. So I think it's, a, I don't want people to, to continue to assume it's recession proof, but we're not anywhere close to where I'm concerned, but just diving into those analytics of where is, where are people coming from? And we analyzed ad campaigns for a large group yesterday where we were talking about where your audience has now shifted to under 250 miles in some places. So you need to adjust your Google ads campaigns to reflect that. And instead of cutting your budget, another client wanted to just cut their budget. Instead of cutting it, Let's look at where your conversions are coming from. Where are your reservations coming from? Are they coming from yeah. a certain age range or demographic? Are they coming from a certain radius and range? And if they're not, or if they're not converting as high, then cut that out, stop that keyword, stop that targeting of those, that area. And then the budget will reallocate toward the people that are converting. But paying well, attention what, to all those details. What I would but, add to that, Brian, that's a really good point. And it's actually scary that you had a client that was looking at cutting their marketing budget. Actually, now is if you were offering an RV park over the last five years, the truth was you didn't really need the market. There were people flooding your doors. You didn't need to do much. Now is actually the time that you need to be a marketer. And what I would encourage operators, and I'm encouraging clients to do this right now, is to take a weekend right now and look really hard and remove their emotion and personal feelings out of their business and make really hard decisions about where they're going to be in the next year and what they need to do. Think hard about it. This, there is a change going on. To say there's not is, none of us are saying there's not, but there, there is a monumental shift going on. And like you, Brian, we've been reviewing some client accounts and we've had a few parks that are, one is in a destination location. The other one is on the way to a destination location. The one that's in a destination location, the search volume, just general Google search volume for RV parks and campgrounds is down 30%. Same thing for that destination park. It's down 30%. Guess what? Their business is down 30% right now, today. Flip it over to some parks that are near major metro areas. They're still very full. And then I've also spoken to a number of owners who are already utilizing tactics to hedge their bets a little bit where they're pre-selling sites in the future. They're giving people a discount if you book your first future vacation now and doing things like that are more proactive. That's what I encourage folks to do. Whatever your business is in our space, is it's time to get proactive. It's no longer, you can no longer be re reactive in the space. You need to be absolutely proactive in operating your parks. And now is the time to do it. Randy, I want to talk to you in a second after I talk to Avara Monique. But Randy, just a second, because you had a really good comment in Slack and we were going back and forth about how to analyze some of that spend and where to cut and what to do as a, a comment. So I want you to talk about that briefly and maybe expand upon it. But before we do that, but Ivar and Monique, what are you guys seeing as far as trends and what are you doing for some of your clients as it relates to marketing? What I see on the French market is that it's, there's a big progression this year. So it's back to the results that were there in 2019, which was a really good year. 
it was like, it was like the, the best year since 2015. And and this year, everything is, has been going up enormously and everybody is fully booked. It's, it's crazy. So it's, it's marketing wise, it's, it was quite an easy year, in fact, to, to find the right target groups and to, to guide them to the right template. Are you seeing, and I know I've already touched on this briefly, but are you seeing a shift in and we talked about the destinations and the length they're willing to go and things like that. Are you seeing a shift in who you have to target already? Or do you feel like that's coming or? The thing is that originally it was always the South, like the Côte d'Azur. I don't know if France, uh, uh, a bit or not, but it was the South of France that was always very popular as well for the German market as for the Dutch market. Everybody wanted to go there because it's like the luxurious and the most beautiful places. And now it has shifted and now the north is the most popular. So people don't have to travel as far. The temperatures are getting higher and higher every year in the north as well. So because normally the people in Holland, they would go south to find the nice weather. But as we had like cars that have been really good, they don't go as far any, anymore. And you see the shift in search results and conversion that that's completely shifted from the south to the north. People still go to the south, but uh, it's, the a, it's a big difference. It's a big yeah. difference now. I've argued anything to add or? If Monique is talking, I have nothing I'm sorry. to add. I'm afraid <laughs> to add something right now. The, the funny thing is, and maybe even the good thing is, and it maybe also has something to do with the budget people spend. But we see an increase in Germany of bookings in the pre and after season. <clears throat> so they go to the same regions, okay. but they book more pre and after season. And that's a quite interesting, it, it's like Randy said, things are happening that we never had. But if this is going to be a general thing, then we might even be able to get a longer season because most of the campsites in Europe or the southern part of Europe are open from April till October and then they close down. If we can make a longer season, that would be the best thing that could ever happen to us. Yeah. And you also see a shift from like these big campsites, big five-star campsites with 10 water parks and stuff to the small campsites that are more nature and next to a little lake, for example. So you also see that, that shift that people go to look for a little bit back to natural. back to basic and also yeah not being in in all the crowded places and in big crowds with people and that of course covid had a large thing to do with that as well yeah it's really interesting to me how it changes based on where you're going what you're doing what your preference is what park you're staying at all those kinds of things like you talk about crowds i remember just i just read a story about niagara falls opened up a new tunnel or something to the falls that you can go see. And like, they showed a picture of the main street. It was packed wall to wall. You couldn't even move with people over last the holiday weekend here. We had a Canada day on January on July 1st. So I mean, there is a mindset of people who still want crowds, but it's just interesting how it changes based on area. But Randy, I want to briefly thoughts on allocation of budget during economic changes. Yeah, the, what happens from an operator's perspective is you, the first thing you look at in your P&L is your controllable expenses. So in other words, utilities are utilities, insurance is insurance. So the default setting is to look at what can I control? That tends to be payroll and marketing. And those are the things where the X usually falls the first. It's not always the best thing to do. To everybody's point, th these are the times when 
you don't need to be cutting your marketing. You need to look at the better allocation of smarter targeting for the same marketing dollars, but not, not cut back when you start identifying your changes from the customer base. And maybe you notice that sprinter vans or camper vans are overwhelmingly coming into your park. So maybe you take a portion of that marketing budget and say, I want to go after that crowd. How do I do that? So you're repivoting your existing dollars towards a better vehicle for a higher payload on delivery. But when you stop that, the, it goes back to that fungibility thing that we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is it's a mistake to say I'm an RV park and my numbers are down this year. I guess it's just a bad year. That's the worst thing you can do when you've got fungible. A lot of people do it, don't they? Yeah. And it happens, but the best thing to do is say, given that this is my spend, where can I refocus that? Who can I talk to about how to do that better and reach these different customers that I haven't reached before? And how do I do that? That's how you win. And interestingly, also, if I was talking with another operator, won't mention any names, but I'd sure love to, but he was saying what it allowed them to do is keep their staff at a normal level. But what happened was they're able to get a, a more concentrated focus on the guest experience for that guest. Doesn't mean staff members are clamoring all around every individual guest, but there's more personalized service. That in turn leads me quite honestly to when you're talking about travel habits right now today. Just the easy thing to do is say gas prices are affecting behaviors. Yes, they are. But inflation isn't affecting behaviors as well. For me, that all points down to if you can address the emotional component of that with your marketing, that's a very smart thing to do. The reason for that is because these recessionary times, inflationary times, whatever, are as emotional as they are mechanical and dollar-wise. If I feel like it, things are uncertain, I may not travel. So what can I do as a park to help alleviate that and say, but if you come here, you're going to be in a good environment. It's going to be worth your time to do that. These are the things you can experience while you're here. Because when you have an emotional negativity towards spending your money on doing something, you're likely not to pull the trigger. So again, this is all part of that big thing about here's this universal world of guests that could come to my park. How do I find them? How do I reallocate my marketing budget? And what do I need to do with my message to better speak to who is traveling and those habits? It's not easy. It's a lot of work, but the payoff is amazing. Here's something interesting that while you were talking, I was thinking about, we talk a lot about the consumer and how their behaviors are changing and things like that. How do, and to everybody, whoever wants to chime in, because I know none of us are really park on, Randy is actually, but how do LNG prices and gas prices and inflation and all those things, electricity bills going way up, insurance going way up, impact park owners, how are their expenses changing during this? Because we talk a lot about consumers' expenses, but also the park is paying more for a lot of things, right? It is. And once again, as an operator, you have to be mindful of that and you have to monitor your financials on almost really a daily basis. You can't wait to the end of the month and then look back and say, oh, I should have done this or that. Especially in this environment, you've got to be watching your math literally about every day, at least on a weekly basis and see what trends are in place for your expenses. If it's more expensive to operate a park, what are your choices? Operate on smaller margins and hope you make it through, or do you have to pass some of that along? And quite frankly, I don't see greed in outdoor hospitality, but I see the need for a respectful, healthy margin. My hope is that consumers would understand just as everything else rises, the guy that operates the park you're staying at, everything for him went up as well. If you, if it's another few bucks to stay there, have some charity towards the person who owns that park, who's still providing you an amazing experience, but through no fault of his or her own, 
those operating expenses have been raised up and that has to be passed along. That's not greed. That's just business maintaining margins and maintaining high service levels. And to your point too, like daily, I don't know if I would want to look at numbers daily, but I hate accounting in general, but daily looking at those things, don't be afraid to raise your rates next week. Instead of so many operators I talk to, they raise their rates one time a year and then they don't touch them for the next year. This is changing too much now with your expenses. Uh, uh, up and down. That's the beauty of yield management in particular, right? You don't have to, it's not always an upward volatility thing. It can be downward as well. You can do different specials. You can do midweek stuff. There's a thousand things you can do, but as much as anything, what today is all about, as far as I'm concerned, is rate management, yield management, and what is referred to in the whole hotel business as non-room revenue, ancillary revenue. If you can get somebody to your park at whatever that number is, but you have other ancillary side revenue things that contribute to that, whether that's branded merchandise, whether that's coffee, whether that's grab and go food, if they were spending 70 bucks a night, but now they're spending a hundred bucks a night, that's the true number to focus on. So can you bring more services and a better experience, increase your average daily rate that can help offset some downsides in revenue. But what's so critical about this is active revenue management for a park owner. That's the only way to beat the game and to stay abreast of any trend. You've got to, you've got to really be active with your rate management. And that's a bit of a science. It's elusive, but it has to be done. Are there many campsites, uh, Randy, in Canada or America that already really do yield management? Yeah, it's becoming more and more ubiquitous, just as with hotel or anything. It's uh, many years ago, it was that, that, that territory where you dared not tread, but these days, not so much It's part of the everyday fabric, the everyday lifestyle. And it's quite frankly, a part of how any park is going to make their money is through yield management, revenue management. And again, even more so it's revenue management. It's what is the rate for this time period? Who am I going after? That's where the real science is. And. So yield management, yes, is much more ubiquitous, really active and concentrated rate management is not quite caught up with that, but it is, it's getting there. There are some who do it extremely well. Is that a lack of, and I'm just curious, is that a lack of providers providing that service? Because obviously yield management is something that you would do through a software provider, like a CampSpot or an Astro, et cetera, which is more ubiquitous than an expert who can finance like fireside accounting. Plug for our sponsor, but and it wasn't intended as that, but it was just, there's less people like Lindsay who delve into these things with campgrounds. And so there's, it's been in front of them a lot less than yield management has, right? Yeah. And it's because hotel is getting into outdoor hospitality in a far more concentrated manner. It's not just happening soon. It's happening now and it's going to be more so hotel operators, I would argue have more sophisticated yield management and rate management strategies by virtue of that being a different sort of asset class as they become more ubiquitous in outdoor hospitality, active rate management is going to be a lot more ubiquitous than it is right now. That it's a necessary accretion from that sort of an industry into this one. It's one of the reasons I'm really big on experiential hospitality because hotel and outdoor hospitality are becoming more and more blurred. There's some operating synergies between those two things that arguably bring a better sophistication of rate management into outdoor hospitality than has existed prior. Those who do it and do it well, realize very specific benefits, very specific benefits. 
And it really is just reduce it. It's a mistake to say my site is 75 bucks a night. And if somebody doesn't show up, I don't have 75 bucks. You cannot be static and say the rate is the rate. It's what do I need to do? How do I need to do it? Where do I position that statement out there? And let me watch the math. That really is the way to win. There are still many smaller campsites, mostly family owned, that heard about yield management, revenue management, but really don't do anything. They, as Brian said, they set the prices once. And then for the next year, if we're, if they're good, yeah, next two, three years, the prices are the same. And they're even a little bit afraid to raise prices because everybody knows my campsite costs 75 uh, bucks a night. And then there are the real professional campsites, mostly a little bit bigger that do extremely well. And they also have money to invest at the end of the year to sure. make this experience even better in the next year. So then you're working on a product that's getting better every year. And yes, by raising prices, sometimes you also have to reschedule a target group, but in the end, you have the best campsite and you have a great business. If you don't do, there is no chance to survive these days. I think it's a struggle for all small businesses. Right? I didn't mean to cut you off, Monique, to just give me one no, second. No, no, no. I think it's a struggle for all small businesses. I struggled raising my prices. Mark, you travel over the country for 360 tours. That's gas. Not you specifically, but people on your team, right? Are you looking at raising prices based on that? It's obviously a factor. Fuel is a factor. Labor costs are, I think, are the bigger factor for us, just the cost of getting somebody there. And so you're calculating all that into the actual productions. And yeah, we're strategically, like, we won't just film one property. We'll do multiple properties yeah. in an area when we have somebody there because those gas prices are significant. And on those gas prices, I just finished a 6,000-mile road trip up to Maine, down to Tennessee, into Virginia, and back into Wyoming. And it was an eye-opening experience because it was right now. We just got back last week. So it was fuel was over six bucks in Maine and in New York. And what I witnessed on the road was a few things. Number one, people are still RVing. There's RVs out there, but their plates are local. They're not, they're not from California driving in New York. So it's more local plates on the RVs. The other thing is that the campgrounds are full. There's people in there and there's a lot of new RVs in there. And one of the observations that we had from some of the places that we visited is that the folks that were in there. They were locals, so they had local plates. And I don't know what that local be, but it's a state plate for that state that we're in. And they stayed. So a few of the parks that we were at, there's these amusement parks nearby that normally during the day, people go do that. During the day, they're in the pool. They were playing the games there at the park. To Randy's point, this is an opportunity for that park to make a lot of extra revenue off of the different games and activities they have on site to where this park really turned itself into a destination location for these travelers. So people are still traveling. It's just we're going through this massive shift, as everybody's noted. And the real question mark that's going to be on everybody's mind is how does this filter out? Who's still camping? Who are the diehards that stick this out? It, when and if gas prices continue to go up. I've never watched fuel prices or oil prices as much as I have right now. It's literally my first website I hit every morning is to see what the futures are on oil prices. And it's like cheering yesterday when it dropped down below 100 bucks a barrel. It's, it's a, a crazy environment right now. But the reality <laughs> is that our industry's biggest input is the cost to consumers to get to the parks. The reality is the RV, the nightly RV rates, even if you're at 75 bucks a night, that's cheaper than hotels. I would encourage anybody that's running a campground right now, do a search for hotels and motels in your area and look at the rates that the Motel 6s and even low-end hotels are drawing or asking for, and then ask if you're providing a better value. I just did this experience and it was pretty eye-opening. The other thing I would encourage park owners to do, especially if you have cabins or glamping units, is it's time to market those. If those are not on Airbnb right now, you are missing out. 
put them on Airbnb, start serving a wider market of potential guests because people will seek that out. And that's a few of the steps. I'm sorry, I went on a, a little bit of a tangent there, Brian, but I, just... I think a lot of it is going back to what Randy said, right? Consumer things are changing. Randy was saying, was it on the show or before the show, Randy, where you had the one park that went from 110 sites to a something? Wasn't that you? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was an operator was talking to their tent sites year over year, June versus June was something like a couple hundred sites that became like 1300 in 2022. That's an example of data clearly working for you when you can say, I, I don't just think this, here's the proof. It's over a thousand bodies coming in to do a tent site that didn't do it last year. So the reason I bring that up, right, is because just like Mark was saying, yes, there's a definitely a difference. Campgrounds in many cases are cheaper than hotels, but hotels are also being driven to by cars, not RVs. So there's a, there's a balance on both sides. You're right, Mark, but just also be careful if there's less expenses with the gas too. But, and, and Monique, I know we haven't got back to you. I'm so sorry. You were going to, uh, no, 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 no. I still want to do that or I, I don't know what you were no, going to no, say. No, no. And just continue. I was I was just briefly getting into the yield management, how it developed in front. But yeah, I'm sorry, it, I didn't mean to cut you it, off and never get back to you. But Brian, back to your point about the vehicles that were being driven. So when we went on this road trip, we actually currently do not own an RV, and so we we took a, a vehicle and towed a trailer with just our gear in bins on this road trip. The whole concept. And I, I wanted to film it and do it for the Facebook group. I wanted to stay in cabins along the way at campgrounds. Ended up not staying at any cabins along the way at the campground because I couldn't book the darn things. I couldn't find anything. And it was just, it was a total nightmare. So what I ended up doing was staying at Airbnbs along the route. And what was interesting about that sold is I spoke out of campgrounds, Mark? How no, not sold out. I couldn't get a darn reservation no, at a cabin. You can't, you can't stay at hotels, Mark. You got I stayed at Airbnbs. So now there's a point to this, Brian. So I stayed just at Airbnbs. Right, go ahead. I stayed at Airbnbs. <laughs> I, and, and I will probably say that. This is going definitely in the wrong direction. <laughs> no, listen then. So the Airbnbs, what's interesting about their end is I spoke to a number of the owners and there is an, there is a definite drop in bookings for Airbnbs right now. We stayed at a number of places that were sold out last year during this entire period, we were in there for discounts of anywhere from 25 to 40% off their nightly room rates in these Airbnbs. And so I ended up speaking to the owners about it. And this was across the board, multiple states, multiple areas. So it wasn't just one region that, that we experienced this in, it was across the board. They've seen a significant downturn in the number of bookings for these Airbnbs. Now there's a question mark there. I don't know the reasons why, but it, I would ask the owners, why do you think this is? And their answer to me was cost. People aren't coming here to stay a week or whatever. They're not going to be driving here. Most of my guests came from a longer distance previously. They're not doing that now. So I'm just drawing guests out of a local area. So the point being is that, to your point, Brian, the cost of getting there is, is applicable. And even people that are traveling with vehicles are changing their habits. Our industry, we need to look at that. We need to recognize that's happening in this other vertical, competing a vertical, right? I can choose an Airbnb or a campground. It's happening there. We need to be aware of it in our space and adjust accordingly. My hunch is that you dive into that data would probably be the same thing. The Airbnbs near the cities might be doing better than the Airbnbs near the destinations or on the way. But yeah, it's a good point. And the consumer behavior changes across many industries. We often focus all solely on outdoor hospitality, but a lot of it's the same. Ivar and Monique, I know this has been a, a pain point over in Europe, especially, but with LNG and propane, we often forget about campers need to fill that stuff up too. Prices have fallen recently in the U.S., I think because of the Texas plant shutting down and that's keeping stuff more local, but they definitely have not fallen over there. No, they haven't. <laughs> and it's really, it depends for the, the campsites I work with. They do camping spaces, but also mobile, they rent out cabins and mobile homes. And there, of course, they need to use them for people to cook 
and and it's it's really expensive. So if they don't do dynamic pricing, then you know their margins are really going way down. Yeah, let's think about that. So do you set do you let's talk about this, Randy? Do you adjust your propane prices at a campground throughout the year based on your supply and demand? Is that dynamic? Is that managed through a yield? What about the cabin like uh, gas stoves in deluxe cabins yeah. or really nice cabins? That's an increased cost. So do you then look at you have to look at all that stuff, right? You have to know all of your operating costs on a per side basis or a per line item basis, whether it's propane, cost of goods for that or for the goods you sell in the store. It goes back to watching those numbers again to maintain margins. And as an operator, you have to adjust margins based on what you're acquiring the product for and what the market will bear on the resale. And that's really just, and again, it's not just our business, it's any business, right? If you acquire something for resale, you've got to maintain margins and that the, your cost of attaining those goods is always going to be in flux. Ergo, your pricing has to be as well. It's, <clears throat> I, I ran across some, it's been quite a few years, but you're talking about like the propane, for example, the park that we took over management of, it didn't know that they were selling for less than they were buying for. They were literally paying people to consume their propane because they didn't know what their cost was to sell that. And that's the kind of thing when, and you, you might think it's a few bucks here or there, but when you analyze or annualize a few bucks, it's a big number. And you do that across several different categories of things that you're selling. That's a real hard hill to overcome. I really I want to talk more really about propane. Oh, go ahead, Ivar, please go ahead. Please. No, I think it's a really important message because if you're not on your numbers and you think everything is still the same as at the beginning of this, you will get some bad surprises by the end of the year. So you have to look at your numbers and maybe not daily, but weekly is, is the least. And you have to adjust prices nowadays and it is dynamic and your guests and they will understand because everything is getting more expensive and to operate a campsite is not cheap. And you can't, cannot only put up 10 cents for something in your supermarket. You also have to look at your pitch prices and stuff like that. You have to do it like this nowadays. Otherwise you will lose. I think we all just need to target the luxury market. They appear to not be impacted at all by the recession. So I think we should maybe do, I have all kinds of ideas, Randy. We should talk later, like a roped off VIP area in your swimming pool with a bouncer in front of it that you only let the premium site people into. Like, yeah, but there is still, there is money in the market. Go ahead. Who was talking? I'm sorry. Hi, There are people with money and there are peop enough people that want to spend money. It's not that everybody is poor and can't uh, afford a holiday. So we shouldn't make it more dramatic than it really is. No, but, I know. Like, my like my advice before, is always terrible, Ivar, to be clear. <laughs> like it's intended to be that way. But <laughs> no, you're right. You're 100% correct. But th there is, yeah, there is a market still. The target it's just again that demographic is shifting it's changing the people with more disposable yeah. income of course here in europe the distances are are shorter so yes. if so then you don't see that big a difference for people going abroad because they will go abroad here in the dutch market this year has been exploding everybody wants to go abroad because they haven't gone abroad for two years and they just needed to do it it's in there it's in our genes to go this discover and explore and see the history of France and the nature in Germany. And we just, yeah. It, it, and so there's never been 
that many people going abroad. So yep. back there. What I'll add to that is, so first off, Michael posted in the chat on LinkedIn about Airbnb reporting a record first quarter. So what yeah, I would have like, sure. I was going to do that, Mark. I was going to oh, call it. So where, where I was going to go on that, if you saw my eyes over here, I was looking at my screen because what I would encourage you to do is go look at their stock performance over the last three months. And so it's one thing to say, yeah, they reported in the first quarter. What happened in the second quarter to cause their stock to drop nearly 46%? So there's something going on there. I'm just telling you anecdotally what I experienced and heard from the owners. We'll see. They're going to report second quarter results here pretty soon. And we'll be able to see what that came out to be. The other thing I wanted to share is something my father-in-law said to me. So he built a, a small plane and we went to an airport recently. He flew in. And my question to him is, airline fuel has got to be crazy expensive. You know what his response was? It is what it is. And the reality is he's at an age right now, and this is true for our industry. He's at an age right now where he's looking at less years ahead of him than behind him, right? In the end, he can't take that money with him. And that attitude is not only true for him, but it's true for a lot of people. It is what it is. They're still going to travel. They're still going to experience this. And the reality is our industry offers very affordable accommodations and to Randy's um comment experiential opportunities for people to go enjoy the outdoors. It really, I think the key is that park operators need to know that there is a change going on right now. We don't know what the trajectory of that change is going to be, but it's smart for them to start reacting and being proactive now. Well, there are people like your family who have that income, who will spend it, but you've got to market to them and let them know you're there. And I'll share with you, he doesn't have that income. That was where the response was surprising. I was like, wow, really? That, it's an interesting attitude. And so one of the things I've been doing is I've been spending a lot of time in the RV forums and the camper communities online, just reading, just trying to t adapt and read what's going on out there. And what we're seeing right now in the United States specifically is people are adjusting their travel plans. They're staying in a closer radius to themselves, or they're planning one big trip of their full-timers. I'm going north for the summer and I'm staying there and then coming south. So they're not going to be driving all over the place. And the other thing is that prevailing attitude, which is I bought a $400,000 RV. So what if fuel cost me an extra thousand bucks? I just adjust my plans accordingly. It is what it is. You're going to see that adjustment. The other thing about our industry, I've mentioned it before, is that we're talking about RV parks and, and private RV resorts. You're ignoring the entire public side of the space, which prices haven't changed in 30 years. They're still 15, 20 bucks a night. So even on the lower end of the spectrum, people are still able to camp, get outdoors. And so that's an opportunity for parks to, to, to also tap into because it's nice to go to Forest Service Campground once in a while for 15 bucks a night. But every once in a while, you want to drop into an, a resort and take a dip in the pool and try those things. So we're going to see our industry continue to boom it, or continue to do well. I, I don't know about the boom part. It's going to continue to do well for a while. I think Monique mentioned that 2019 was a record year over in Europe. Same thing here. If everybody ignores COVID, we were on this rise from 2012 through 2019 that in 2019, I literally gave a presentation at an event talking about 2020 is going to be a record year and then COVID happened and everything else. Everybody knows that history. But here we are. We went, we're going up, dropped, and then it shot way up here. And now we're just saying, oh, it's come down slightly. That slightly is still way above where we were. So just an overall just perspective on where things are at. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Almost completely, I think. Uh, and again, I, that's why I said people need to pay attention. They need to adjust. I'm not worried at all about the industry right now. Yeah. There's a point in time where I might get there, but I'm not anywhere close, but it definitely is something to keep an eye on. Yeah. I don't think we're anywhere near a panic button, anything right now. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to be too redundant, but I think it bears a little bit more fleshing out the, the marrying of hotel to outdoor hospitality is not only inevitable, it's happening right now. And with that, these different revenue strategies, rate management, what have you like that. 
So think about it in this context. If you are an operator and you're fearing that maybe I have fewer customers coming for whatever reason, they don't feel good about the economy, it's gas, whatever you want to put the reason on. So if you focus on, again, returning to non-room revenue or ancillary revenue, that when that 75 bucks becomes a hundred bucks, and here's a little bit of data for you on that. There's a recent survey I was reading of, of, of like a thousand hotel operators worldwide. From the poll they took, they anticipated between 30 and 40% of all their revenue coming from non-room revenue. So in our terms of the campground world, think about 75 bucks for the site, but then you're getting another 30% on top of that. It becomes $110. So what happens there? You get more ADR per night, which is great. But what else happens? They have a better experience. There's more things to do. They have more added services that they can add on experience. You're being a little bit more of a host, but guess what? You're also extracting more dollars per stay. They have a better experience. You're making more money. And all that means is just repivoting from I rent spaces to I'm in experiential hospitality. And the more I can provide credit, I'll make credit. That's the evolution I'm excited about because again, this is part of the world as it will be and as it is right now. And that's why I don't worry at all about outdoor hospitality. The more sophisticated we get, the more cross-pollination with other asset classes, the better we are as operators, the stronger the industry is. I firmly believe the best days are definitely in front of us. Oh, absolutely. I do. I think my concern is that I want to make sure that these mom and pop, small independent business owners are equipped with the same tools that the big boys are. That's all knowledge. Yeah. The upper 10% of any asset class always make the money. It's the, the folks in the middle or on the margins that don't have quite that expertise. How do you get there? That's always been a problem. That always will be a problem. And Michael's back in the LinkedIn chat says he spot checks in Michigan State Parks. So just, I don't know if you watch all of our shows, Mark. But we do have an outdoor rec show focused the fourth week with the RV industry. And we do have a Kurt from National Parks Travel on there. We do talk about some state parks and provincial parks and things like that. And so we'll have to ask him what he's maybe seeing from national parks, if they're raising rates or things like that. I don't know. It looks like maybe they're doing it in Michigan, but I think I tend to assume that you're probably right, Mark, that in most places they're not, but it would be interesting. Yeah, it depends. So it really depends. And when you look at the state park side, it depends on the state park in the state that they're in and the rules they're operating under. Some state parks are funded by the general fund. Some are self-funding. Some they can raise rates easily. Some cannot. It, it varies across the board, but the key point being is public parks are cheaper option than private parks that they can, they have that government backing so they can provide a service to a wider net of people at a more affordable price. So point being, yeah, great. There's, there, the reality is that there are still cheaper options out there for folks. So that's always, hotels don't have that comp competitive space. Hotels are not competing against government run hotels. Campgrounds do. It, it is a reality in the space and it does impact some parks. It doesn't impact others cool thing is it creates a very dynamic market for our entire industry, which I think in the long run is a good thing. And people do seek out, they buy RVs not to be in a parking lot. They buy RVs for that adventure and that sense of space and so forth. And then they also end up in resorts they enjoy also, but it's an important piece of it. And that's obviously one sample of one. You can look at Florida state parks, but you can also look at places like Iowa state parks where the, the rates are cheaper, but it depends on where you're at and what the rules are within that state park system. But at the federal level, especially in the national park level, those prices haven't changed very much at all. If anything, two bucks over the last few years. I mean, they're still incredibly inexpensive. So it's just something to be aware of. Ivar and Monique, is there a public-private dynamic over in Europe? Sorry, 
Is there a public private dynamic over in Europe, like between public campgrounds and private campgrounds, or is it not really the same? We don't have any public uh, ca campgrounds. No. The public ones are the ones that are government campgrounds, no? Yes. We don't have any. No, we don't have So that. no competition. So there's no camping in like a national park system or anything like that? Okay. No. It's interesting. <clears throat> no, it's all private. All private, yeah. Even the ones that are directly near uh, national parks are all private campsites in Europe. Yeah. Is there any update on that outdoor rec bill? Wasn't that supposed to privatize some of the parks? Have you heard about uh, Not privatize it. It was going to open it up for more um, vendors. Yeah, vendors to be able to come in and operate those. And it's a big deal. RVIA has spent a lot of effort on that side of the aisle because the reality is most people, when they buy their first RVs, they want to go to these, these public spaces. They want to go to the state parks, the private parks, the national parks, and so forth. And the reality is they're nice, they're beautiful, but their amenities are lacking. Usually the sizes of the roads and the spaces are limited. And so they're hoping through these rec bills that they can get more interaction in there. The, the problem on the public side though is so private park owners are motivated by profit to get more campers in their park, get them to spend more, get them to enjoy their times. On the private side, that's not necessarily the case. Now I might get some people shooting back at me on that one that, I, that they actually do a good job and I congratulate them, but in general, when you're talking about public parks are generally operated by folks where every new guest that walks in and calls them is actually a hassle for them. It's not more money in their pocket. It's just more work for them. And so there's a different profit motivation for the people running those locations. And so RVIA is trying to push on the higher level to, to funnel money in direction and, and get private operators in there who will be motivated by profit to improve the amenities and the opportunities within those public spaces. It's a big debate and I mean, I don't want to wade into it in, in this show, but it's definitely something that is important for private parks to be aware of that this is coming down the pipeline. I don't think it's I don't think it's bad for our industry at all. The, the better, like we're talking about, we want to help all owners operate better parks. Same thing for public parks. If they're operating better parks, people are going to have better experiences. They have better experiences. They're going to do it more often. They're going to encourage others. It's going to grow our industry as a whole. Yeah, we have talked about that bill before on the show. We actually, Gary, my editor, has been trying to get a senator on the phone to get on the show. And we got a hold of Joe Manchin's people, and they said he doesn't do media appearances anymore. <laughs> so that's nice that they're still working for us. But There's actually a senator from Maine. His name slips me. He's an independent. He actually owns a Class B RV. I met him up at Acadia National Park. He was camping with his wife in the campground, a U.S. senator. So maybe he'd be willing to do an interview with Brian. Well, Joe and I think Joe and one other person were the co-sponsors of the bill. So those are the only two we reached out to. But anyway, I think we have plans to touch on that more in, in August. I think Kurt with National Parks Traveler is going to touch on the, some of the lobbying. And then we have Phil from RVDA, Phil and Gracia who's on the show is going to touch on some of that too. But this is another article just talking about different demographics and stuff. I saw, I read the other day and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's a membership, it's talking about membership across Canada and how they're exploding selling. There's this campground in Washington state, I think. Yeah. 2,500 pads, 700 acre gated Fort Susan camping club in Tula Lip, Washington, where memberships start at $34,000 a year. So. I think there's definitely still people traveling willing to camp, whether it's at the luxury high end or whatever else. I don't think this is an issue at all. I think it's just, again, changing your dynamic, changing what you're going after. If that's something that you feel is necessary for your market. Yeah. And Randy's actually, I want to ask this question to Randy, cause he's been in this industry long enough to know as, and let me ask the question in a way I, we had a member of the Facebook group for a while. He ended up dropping out, but he was running membership parks. So he was selling membership access into his parks at high dollars like that. And he was bragging that it was the most lucrative thing he's ever done. What's your, you, you know, that side of the business, is it lucrative? How do those work? And is it an opportunity for parks to potentially pivot? And you have eight minutes, Randy, go. 
<clears throat> oh my God, that's a tall order. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, just very briefly. So memberships have been around forever. They got a really bad name for decades, literally, because one of those things that sounds great on a spreadsheet and then in practical application, the value rubs off and the secondary market was flooded with campground memberships. Your $3,000, this membership was now 800 bucks. Just get me out of it. The tip, there's a, a lot of different models of the membership type thing. Sometimes you'll pay your fee and be based at a home park and then you get a reduced camping fee somewhere else. I don't, from in a real world practical application, it's something that sounds very good on a spreadsheet, but it's been very hard to make successful. Case in point of the parts that I've sold over the past 10 years or whatever like that, and the ones that I've managed, less than 1% had to do with memberships. They're harder parts to sell. It's hard to quantify the revenue that there's, and breaking the agreements with a membership is difficult. So if you're going to do a membership thing, it you own the and you never have any intention a bit of it, maybe it works, but, but there's a lot of hassles within that. If it's something you're going to try to grow, then eventually sell the property. I would argue that memberships can be more of a hindrance than a help. That's a very compressed macro and there's subtleties at all different levels within that. Is that helpful at all? Maybe I want to play devil's advocate because I know absolutely yeah. nothing about the membership space at all. So I feel like I'm an authority to comment on it right here. Is there a way that maybe, and I agree with you that it has gotten a, certainly a bad rap and it probably doesn't work in a lot of places, but is there ways to make that process more innovative to where yes. you're not locking people into a long-term membership? Yes. Maybe you're doing a month to month. Maybe you're like the Cleveland Browns where I used to do a lot of the NFL teams, they do the PSL, the seat license, and then you have to buy your tickets on top of that. I feel like there's innovation opportunities here for people to adapt in some cases. I would agree 1,000. And it's, but what I was addressing earlier is the way memberships have been and have been perceived. I think as with anything in the industry, if you can do it a better version of what's been done before and you overcome that negative perception, you overcome a lot of the things I just discussed. One of the things that needs a lot of overhaul to make it somewhat more tenable as it is right now, I'm not aware of any membership programs that for me fit that bill. If I'd love to hear about them if they are. But it's yet another way that the industry can get stronger and reinvent itself by doing it better than it has in the past. So yeah, there's room for it if it's improved. We need to do a show on it maybe. So Mal, yep. one of the writers for Modern Campgrounds, watching the show right now, watching a, or writing a summary for our podcast episode. So Mal Telekari, because it's too, it's easier for me to say this than to slack you and do it. We need to have a show on memberships. But anything else we need to talk about here that have come across you guys' desk? I didn't mean to fill up a whole show with that, but I feel it was really good conversation. So, Yeah, and good comments from the LinkedIn group. What I will say is that we're in the sweet spot for our industry right now. This is camping season 2022. So if you're out there operating your park, do a good job. It, it, this is your moment to make money. So keep going. Oh, Mike Beckelheimer just commented there. We'll there throw him in there. We've got a couple of things. Cut my teeth in the membership business, 17 years, a thousand trails. Tough to make any money after the sale. Generally, camping is free after you buy in, hence no revenue stream to make improvements. So yeah, that's the thing. That's the innovation, right, Mike? Like we're talking about maybe a right to camp and then purchasing the site on top of it or something that works that way so you can continue to make money afterwards. I don't know if it works. And I would say, full disclosure, Mike is a friend I've known for a long time. And there's Mike Beckelheimer's a guy who can speak very definitively about what he's seen through all the years with these things and the soft underbelly of what works and doesn't. Props, Mike. Mike, you should be on the show too. I feel like you were a long time ago, but you should definitely be on the show. And I know Mike too. Yeah. All right. Final thoughts, guys, you want to wrap up anything that you feel is important to going into the remainder of the camping season over here or 
extending. I'm just, I'm just glad everything's cold. I'm glad everything is completely stable with no upsets whatsoever. And it's just as it's always been for the past 30 years. It's so nice to just be <laughs> it is too. It's really a struggle to come up with content for the show because everything is great. <laughs> so hopefully this episode will be relevant one, one, five, ten years from now. Something like that. It's like a carnival. <laughs> it's like a carnival shooting this duck, then that duck, then that duck. It just, that's the fun. Yep. Absolutely agree. So. Ivar, Monique, any other thoughts? Final thoughts, Monique? Uh, we'd love to have you on the show again, too, sometime. Appreciate you. Oh, well, tonight. thank you very much. I would love to. Yeah, no just problem. Ivar knows my contact information. Yeah, Shoot we'll, an email. we'll, we'll get in touch. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to have you to explore more about that kind of stuff. So, Thank you. All right, Mark, any final thoughts? Randy? No, I'm good. Cool. Thank you, guys. Uh, we'll end a couple minutes early then. Really appreciate you joining us for another episode of Fireside Chats. Just a reminder that today's episode is sponsored by Fireside Accounting with our fancy little graphic. We're going to pop up here in the corner. We're talking a lot about inflation today and managing your finances and paying attention to all those things. Obviously, you can do that on your own, but if you're like me and you hate numbers, maybe Lindsay is an option for you at Fireside Accounting. Only in the United States right now, unfortunately, but hopefully we can convince her to go to Canada, Germany, France, Holland, where Ivar is sipping wine, all those kinds of beautiful places. <laughs> And we'll just get her all over the world. But really appreciate you guys joining us for another episode. As a reminder, you can view us as a podcast on Google, Apple, Spotify, all those kinds of places. Eventually, our past episodes, when I get to it on moderncampground.com. Until next week, we will see you for our campground under show. Thanks for joining us. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.